Hi, I'm Paul Stringflow, CTO at Gardener Systems, and welcome to our latest CTO Insights video. Uh, joining me on this occasion is uh, Grant Cayley from NetApp. Hi, Grant. Hi, Paul. N nice, nice to have you with us. Thank um, you. And so, I suppose before we start, um, you're, you're a CTO yourself, so um, maybe a little bit of an instruction who you are and what it is you do. Yeah, so Grant Cayley, obviously from NetApp. Uh, I've been the company for over 20 years now, and I do a chief technologist role. So I get to talk about all things NetApp to our customers, to our partners, and really kind of, uh, you know, help them understand how NetApp's technology can really help them get better business outcomes uh, with what they're doing. Well, we'll kind of dive into kind of some of the conversations you have as a CTO um, in a little while. But just maybe for people who aren't familiar with NetApp, I mean, I mean probably most people watching this have, have maybe at least heard of NetApp. But for those who aren't familiar, you know, a little bit about what NetApp do, who they are, their history and, and what they're doing today. Yeah, so we've been around since, uh, it's quite a long time now, in 1992. Uh, started off doing data storage, um, expanded that into multi-protocol unified storage, you know, the first company to do that uh, natively, and then expanded that kind of proposition into the public clouds as well. So not just doing enterprise data storage on-premise, we moved into doing it into AWS, Azure, and Google, and in fact, the only storage vendor that do that, uh, and have a consistent platform across both. But then we really kind of started to look at what, do we, what can we help our customers with on top of that? So now we help customers do discovery, classification, compliance, and privacy of their data. Uh, we help them look at observability across their infrastructure. And also we bring a range of cost optimization capabilities to both data on-prem and cloud, but also to compute in the cloud, billing in the cloud, uh, and really you know, help customers look at those angles. And actually one of the interesting things that we've done recently is really looking at how we help customers secure their data, uh, particularly because data storage at the end of the day is the last line of defense from all the cyber attacks. So NetApp as a company is much more than just what most people remember, you know, think of us, which is probably filers and NAS storage. We've really expanded out from that over the last decades. Yeah, I can't, I can't believe within the first minute we've got to the word filer. Um, but, um, <laughs> I thought I'd throw it in there just so people, those from the old days yeah. can remember NetApp in that respect. Yeah, yeah that, those, those have been around long <laughs> enough know what a filer is. Yeah. Um, but what's really interesting, I think, what, what you've just talked about, um, you know, and I think it's kind of reflective of of the world we live in um, today. So that sounds like I'm going to go to some big, big conversation about the world we live in today. Um, but, you know, we start that conversation out about storage, you know, and I think traditionally people have looked at storage as, well, how fast is it? You know, what, what does my RAID array look like? How do I make sure it's resilient and it's always operational? But actually you talked a lot there about data and the value of data, you know, and that feels like a bit of a shift, doesn't it, in that we're maybe while things like performance and availability of course have still got lots of you know lots of importance to people as they as they consider where they're going to put their data but is is that shift that you're seeing that the conversation maybe is less about that but more about what you can do with the data and the information that you're placing on that storage yeah, I mean, I think, you know, all the things you just talked about, rate of data performance, all that kind of stuff, it's almost a given nowadays yeah, for the yeah. data storage you're buying. The flash boom, if you like, have uh, really changed the kind of performance landscape. Uh, but what's really now important is actually how customers can, I always I use the term wrangle their data, because actually it's not just storing the data, it's how can they integrate that data, the data sets into the applications, into things like AI, and how can they actually make that a much 
faster go-to-market capability, a much more secure capability, and a much more cost-optimized capability as well. But to do that, you need to integrate all these kind of features which have been around for a long time through APIs into the applications, into the AI data pipelines that people are building. Uh, and also, you need to be able to do that across on-premise and the public clouds. If you can stitch all that together, which is what NetApp do, and we used to talk about it in terms of calling it the data fabric. We don't tend to use that term quite so much. We now talk about really calling it unified data management because it can be the same data management across any environment, on-prem and cloud. And having that type of capability is much more the conversation nowadays. It's, you know, data storage, people assume it'll be fast enough, it's protected, it's got business continuity, it's got disaster recovery. But uniquely being able to do that, not just in the data center, but in the clouds, and then API drive, things like cloning of data, you know, instant snapshotting, instant restoring of massive data sets, those kind of things really drive value into what customers are trying to do rather than just act as a kind of a layer for storing your data. Yeah, and I think make an important point actually about the kind of the table stakes almost of we should expect all storage vendors of a certain quality to be able to to do these kind of things. Mm. But it's interesting, you kind of talk about cloud and, you know, the ability to take those kind of consistent capabilities and take them from on-prem into cloud. I suppose maybe just less about the data for the moment, but maybe that's an interesting conversation to have. You know, if people who are thinking about moving to cloud storage, it's actually, while we say lots of these table stake things are given on-prem, that's not necessarily true of moving to cloud, is it? So are there some, are there some different considerations people should have as they consider cloud storage versus what they've traditionally thought of on-prem? Yeah, it's interesting. If you look across the clouds, there are over 30 storage services you can choose from. And they all try and target a different kind of use case as such. But what most of them still lack is the kind of enterprise capabilities around about, you know, you need zero data loss, you need uh, high performance, you need backup and recovery of data, you need encryption of data, uh, you need storage efficiencies of data, reducing the cost of actually storing that data. And we take those as givens on premise, yeah. but actually being able to do those, which which you can't do natively really in the public clouds. And that's where NetApp's offering in those clouds really offers value because we bring that same platform into those clouds. And then customers don't have to pick and choose. They can actually standardize how they manage data uh, and gain all the advantages that I've just talked about in that respect. So it's really important because, you know, the, the, the storage environments in the cloud are, I wouldn't say the very basic, but they're not as advanced as you'd expect from your data center footprints. So being able to do that in the clouds as well is, is a real value proposition that NetApp bring. Yeah, and I think that's a, a kind of an interesting point, isn't it? Again, about the idea of the things you take for granted, you know, no pun on your name intended, <laughs> uh, but the things you take for granted on-prem on in terms of optimization, you know, and, and, and even at that basic level, that idea, and I think we were talking before we recorded about actually something I've worked on recently with somebody where they were considering, well, we want to take this stuff off-prem and put it in a public cloud. And what they hadn't thought about was, you know, they all of the capabilities they were getting on-prem in their data center around compression, deduplication, shrinking a data set down by 30 40 50%. They weren't thinking about the impacts of moving that to the public cloud and kind of that that explosion the other way. And I mean, is, is that something you still, you're seeing people not necessarily getting caught out by, but it's maybe a bit of a bit of a surprise when you take it to them? Yeah, because 
you know, when you buy storage on premise, you're buying it for three to five years. It's an upfront pay- payment for that data, effectively, for that capacity. But you're right. If you have to rehydrate, let's say you gain 50% efficiencies through the hardware technologies in your data center. If you have to move that workload to the cloud, you have to pay twice as much for that data. And you pay it in an OPEX, a monthly basis. So it becomes really apparent very quickly the differences between storing that data in the data center and storing yeah. it in the public clouds. So it's really important to take the same technology from on-prem to the cloud, which is what we do, uh, but actually even retain those that hydrated data, sorry, dehydrated data, as you move from on-prem to cloud. Because if you even if you have to rehydrate just to get to the cloud, there's time and effort and cost yeah. of bandwidth and replication times to do that. So being able to maintain those efficiencies across on-prem and multiple clouds really makes it much more, you know, uh, cost-effective, but also you know better for the customer at the end of the day. And I suppose that idea of you know, because there's cost in rehydrating it before you move it. But actually, yeah. if you've got that capability in the cloud and on-prem, you know, one of the things that I see people get caught out a lot by is as you pull data out of the cloud, there's the charges that come with that. So I suppose we're saying that actually if you can make that data that you need to pull out be smaller and, and more efficient in the way you pull out, you, you can save costs there as well. Yeah, I mean, IDC did a survey where they looked at of the workloads customers push to the cloud, how many end up coming back out of the cloud. And it's a really high figure. It's somewhere in the region of about 50 or percent or higher of workloads get put into the cloud. They become too expensive. They get pulled back on premise. And just that movement of data costs you money. So egress, you pay, you don't usually pay for pushing data into the cloud, but you definitely pay for pulling it yeah. out of the cloud. So that egress cost. And if you could put a data set in that's optimized in the cloud, but pull it out optimized, then you don't have that rehydration. Uh, and actually, hydration itself is a problem on premise because have you got capacity to hydrate before you go to the cloud? Mm. Have you got capacity in the cloud to hydrate if you want to bring it back? You know, it's, it's a real challenge for customers to try and get around and, and can be expensive at the same time. So, so let's take a because we started out talking about kind of the idea of um, you know storage and infrastructure layer. There's lots of table stake type stuff that, that people should expect, and, and you know rightly so. And, and actually, most leading enterprise storage vendors are, are doing all the things that we talked about. But the value in the conversations you're having, it seems like, is much more around how do I get the best out of data. So, so in terms of in terms of doing that, you know, is, is what, what's kind of the starting point? So, if somebody's listening to us chatting here and saying, "Well, okay, I want to know more about my data so I can use it more effectively," mm. I suppose maybe actually two questions: uh, why should they bother, and then where do they start? Yeah, there's, there's actually a couple of kind of conversations there because why bother? Cost time to markets, all of these things are important. And, and that's why the technologies could really help you. But there's actually two sides to that. One is actually looking at the data that they're storing in the first place. Uh, have they looked at how much they've got, whether it's optimized, whether they've got the right securities, governance, compliance over data. That's a conversation before you even think about moving into the cloud or not. And then once you decide that you do want to put into the cloud, whether it's from NetApp or not on from NetApp, you really need to think about what landing zone am I going to build this on? What features do I need to build into that? Because because if you don't build them into the the kind of storage landing zone in the cloud, you'll have to build them into the application. And the old days of doing applications and data was the shared storage platform did your business continuity, your HA, and it if it was a good platform, it integrated into the application as well so that all the kind of log management was taken care of. You still need to do that in the cloud somewhere. And that's one of the benefits of having the technologies we've got anyways. You can you can think, well, we need to do X, Y, and Z. We can already do that for you and give you that landing zone, storage landing zone in the cloud that you can then subsequently build on top of. So there's a lot of factors there that people need to think about, not just what data they've got, what they want to move to the cloud, but then how they treat that data, how they store that data, and bring a lot of the features that we've talked about into that um, environment. And, and so when people are doing... Um 
you know, discovery, I suppose, what, what's some of the stuff that, um, what's some of the stuff that they can find out? And what, what's important, you know, again, in your experience, maybe the conversation you're having with, with CTOs is what, what is it that they don't know that actually you can help them find out and it's valuable for them to find out? Well, it's interesting that, um, a lot of companies just don't know how much data they've got, yeah. which is the first challenge. And actually, there was a survey done which looked at how much of that data is ever touched again. And 68% of data that is created will never be used again. Right. So somebody's paying for that data. Yeah. You're powering it, you're cooling it, you're hosting it. If you're in the cloud, you're paying for it on an OPEX basis, so it gets really expensive very quickly. So I think the first thing is actually companies being able to understand what data have we got, what's redundant, cold, what could be moved on to different tiers, what could be deleted, for example, and that's becoming more, um, never used to happen, you know, happen. People would never delete data. Now people are deleting data just because of the amount of data that's being created. So those are challenges. But then you've also got to think about is, does that data contain confidential information, regulatory information, personal information for GDPR and other regulations? Uh, So companies are really having to put much more of and have a much better understanding of what they've got before they start to make any decisions about putting data into other environments or using it for other purposes. And AI is a big driver of that as well, because you know if you you can spend millions on GPUs to process uh, data using AI, but if you're wasting it on redundant cold data that's not, or you know uh, data that's of no relevance, then that's just a waste of resources. So there's a lot of optimization that needs to be done around about data in the very first instance. And, um, you know, we've talked before, haven't we, about how lots of things in IT are very cyclic. And I think one of the phrases that um, I haven't heard for a long time, but I've started hearing increasingly is the idea of garbage in, garbage out. And, and, and within respect of AI, because actually, if we're going to use, as you said, you know, if we're going to spend all this money on GPUs and or cloud native services that are doing this kind of churning for us in terms of trying to gain additional value out of data, if we're just feeding rubbish in in the first place, then you know, I think actually something you'd said to me previously was was that idea that you might get to the answer eventually. It'll just take an awful lot longer and may not be as good an answer as as you want. You know, is 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 that a is that a driver that people are you're seeing as well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, well, absolutely, definitely. Actually, you know, optimizing before you start processing because you know the two resources that are expensive in AI are the the GPUs to process it and the data scientists time to have to kind of you know, pre-format data, use the data, analyze the results, et cetera. So really, you've got to kind of optimize those. And to do that, you need to look at what data you're putting in in the first place, make that optimization call up front, make sure it's relevant data so that you're, you're getting the maximum out of it. But then for AI, you need to be able to wrangle that data, you know, because a data set, which might be your golden data set, you need to use that not just for one AI process, but you may have chat GPT, you may have modeling, you may have uh, other Im- analytics you want to run against this. If you have to hold lots of copies of that data to to answer all of these kind of, uh, you know, these kind of requirements, that gets expensive really quickly. Right. So stepping it back and leveraging things like zero space cloning technologies on the storage side can make a huge advantage in terms of the cost of doing all of these things. But then also the time, because you can wrangle data sets, you can restore them, you can clone them in seconds. All of that makes a massive difference to, to the outcomes that you can achieve. Yeah. And I think that kind of speed and cost is a huge part of that. You know, the idea that if I want multiple data sets, we talked before about you, you're putting more and more data in the cloud than you need. Well, if you're going to do, well, I've put all this data in there and then I'm going to do it again with a with another copy of data. Well, it 
on-prem, that might be a bit of capacity you're using up. But actually, in the cloud, not only capacity, but the cost associated with the capacity. Yeah. And that, that can be a huge thing. Um, well, you know, before we wrap up, there's a couple of other areas I just wanted to explore with you in terms of things that I hear from kind of CTOs when we're talking about storage and data. And I, I just wondered what your take was. I mean, we've kind of touched on, you've touched on compliance and governance before. You know, one of the big drivers I've seen in terms of data strategy and, and rethinking how we look at data is regulation and regulatory frameworks. You know, is that is that something that you're seeing and, and, and what kind of advice have you got from a NetApp point of view of, of how people can maybe start to, you know, meet some of the, the demands of those frameworks? Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> people just haven't addressed these before at great scale because the, the time and effort it takes to classify data, to discover it, to process it, to then tie it into regulations that you maybe have to adhere to, like GDPR, which has things along not just the storing of data and, and security of data, but also around about sovereignty of data and these types of challenges. So companies are much more keen on really kind of getting a handle on what they've got, being able to tag and classify their data, but only if you can sim- do it simply, because that was the challenge yeah. before, was being able to do it at scale, to do it quickly. Uh, and now there are tools and capabilities, you know, of which we, we provide uh, an uh, that can help you do that. And with that kind of knowledge, you can then build dynamic policies and you can start to actually, in all, not quite real time, but in near real time, start to work out when data strays outside of regulations. Because that's one of the challenges as well, is that if somebody takes a confidential document and drops it into their storage repository in the cloud or into an S3 bucket in the cloud, you need to know that. And if that breaks your regulations, you need to be able to alert to it, take action. So there's much more of an automation requirement as well as a discovery and a classification requirement that needs to be put around data so that you you can protect yourself at scale because that's always been the problem is how do I yeah how do I do that you know and we've not been able to do that before so the tools now are available to do that well you say and kind of protecting at scale and also protecting across these these multiple repositories both on-prem in the cloud inside of applications inside of SaaS applications um one thing you mentioned and I think it's a really interesting point because it's been one of the challenges I've seen in this kind of governance and compliance space is sometimes a complexity of doing that so so how are you seeing vendors vendors like netapp as well you know how, how are you seeing netapp or other vendors make that more straightforward for for customers yeah i mean the cloud has helped a lot because we can build saas applications that enable us to to bring features to market very quickly to not have to have a change control window from a customer to bring in a new set of capabilities so being able to build our capabilities in the cloud as a SaaS offering, but with on-prem collectors for the data, has really helped to scale the types of requirements that we can bring. And that's really meant that we can do much more, much more quickly uh, in terms of how we deliver for customers. So that type of environment, that capability that we've got now to use the cloud as well mm. for offering services to customers has really changed the landscape in terms of how quickly we can get to grips on on doing that. And, and I suppose it takes away from the, from the customer the requirement for them to find the resources, to have the compute and to have the capacity necessary necessarily on, on-prem, but actually we can just point to that and use Cloudflare is really good at scale, speed, yeah, yeah, le- flexible processing. It yeah, can really but, but actually, I mean, even those kind of products which we just, which I've just mentioned, we actually do an on-prem dark site version because there are some customers yeah, who course. will not connect to the internet for, for the security reasons of their data. So it's important that we are able to do both 
the technology we can deploy on-premise, but we can also deploy it into the cloud. The cloud gives us more flexibility and scale, but that's not to say that we can't do the same yeah. in a dark site kind of environment as well for the secret squirrel type of organizations <laughs> that, you know, have those requirements. Well, and that leads on actually to kind of another point I wanted to just, just raise with you, you know, and, and this was something that I've heard you talk about recently that, that really caught my attention because I think it was something I wasn't particularly thinking about. You know, we, we talk, you know, and we talk as, a, as an organization, as CTOs, we talk a lot about security because it's right up and it's the right top of the priority list for, for most organizations. And we look at security at all kinds of layers, at the perimeter, at the endpoints inside of applications. But actually one place that I think gets forgotten quite a lot is at the storage layer, you know, and, and actually, you know, ultimately that's the place that people are targeting because that's where the data lives a lot of the time. So is, is that is that something you're seeing and, and what are you seeing in terms of capabilities that people might be able to take advantage of at that kind of security layer to, to add, sorry, at the storage layer to add some additional levels of security around data and information? Yeah, well, you're right. I mean, we've focused on the perimeters. We focus on kind of end user, you know, protection and things. But actually, it's the data that they're trying to get to, mm. and that will be on a storage array, whether it's under an application or underneath a, a you know a file system, whatever that happens to be. Actually, what's becoming more important is that there's a journey, you know, that we need to look at to to help secure that data. And I often refer to the NIST framework, which is the American yeah. standard, but it's a set of steps and, and, and kind of areas that you need to focus on. So you need to identify what data you've got, and that's the classification and that we've talked about. You know, what, what have we got? Is it personal, confidential? Does it need to be, you know, encrypted? Does it need to be deleted? Whatever identifying the data first so that you can then build the environments to protect that data. And from a storage perspective, it's about can I first detect that my data is being attacked by ransomware attacks? So I'm actually building in ransomware detection into the disk layer so we can detect you know, ransomware write patterns. That's the first step that we do. But also, pardon me, being able to build secure environments with multi-admin authentication. You know, it's far too easy for an admin to decide he's had a bad Friday, delete all his data, turn off his backups, you know, all of these yeah. things. So actually we offer the capabilities to build in multi-admin authentication, which is unique in the, the kind of market. And that's about detecting the attacks. But if you detect a ransomware attack on your storage array, you should then trigger an automatic snapshot and make that snapshot not just immutable, but indelible as well, so that nobody can delete it for, say, a month or two months. And that gives you a protection point that you can then look to recover to. Because actually, it's the recovery of the environment, which is probably more important than absolutely anything, and the speed of recovery. So if you have a petabyte of data, how long would it take you to recover that from a backup? Well, actually, on the primary storage system, if it's been snapshotted and protected, can we roll that back in the event of a ransomware attack within seconds or minutes. And that type of capability is essential because that gets you up and running that much faster. But you have to look at all of those. You know, it's not just about one capability. Uh, you have to be able to do all of these different things to, to kind of build, you know, a secure storage platform that is the last line of defense at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, there's something really interesting in, in that in terms of, because I think it's ransomware is such a rapidly evolving space, you know, and these things can happen really quickly. I thought it was really interesting, that kind of idea of being able to spot potential ransomware activity built into the storage and then being able to do something with that and say, right, well, I think this might be ransomware. I don't know it's ransomware. You know, and I think it's important to kind of point out actually from a NetApp point of view, you're not you're not trying to be ransomware protection. You're not trying to stop a ransomware attack, but it's more you're spotting it. So automatically you're kind of orchestrating the idea of let me take a snapshot. So at least I know if that does turn out to be ransomware, um, you know, I've, I've got that kind of copy. I mean, that, that feels like a, a really valuable capability. Yeah. 
Yeah, in fact, we came up, well, sorry, came up with the tagline, you know, talking about NetApp being the most secure storage on the planet. It's not a kind of a vague, you know, a random assumption. It's actually building these capabilities into that. And I think if you look five years down the line, these types of capabilities will be standard in yeah. every storage array. Today, you know, we're the only ones that can do that. But it is about protecting that last line of defense, not only detecting it, triggering that protection, as you mentioned, but then being able to recover, in, you know, within seconds anyway, that data set if you need to. That's all really important type of, you know, things to do. Yeah, and because you say, I think from, from ransomware, you know, the, the impact of ransomware um, is not so much, I mean, well, the impact of ransomware and encrypting all your data so you can no longer get to it, it you know, it is a pain. Um, it's actually the, the real cost and problem comes from trying to get this stuff back. And if we can know that we've got an instantaneous point where damage will be limited because we've spotted the activity really early, I mean, that, that has the potential to be huge. Yeah, I mean, all you have to... Be- try and recover then is the your few seconds of outage of, of yeah. the time of taking the the time of detecting the attack to taking the snapshot which is probably just seconds but those few seconds there will be some files that are encrypted those are where you go to your backup to recover from but for everything else that means you can get back up and running literally you know within minutes rather than hours that it would take to to identify everything to work out what you've got you know it, it's it's really important so so i suppose one one final thing to wrap up on you know you, you, you talk to lots of ctos people who are you know ceos i guess you know you're talking to, to the whole C-suite when you're out there talking to, to mm. customers. Uh, and, and obviously, NetApp are a huge storage vendor, um, you know, doing lots of research in the space, looking at the, kind of what's coming next. So, you know, for CTOs who are, who are watching this thinking, what should I be thinking of? Just that little, you know, what should I be thinking of in the next 12 to 18 months? You know, what are some of the things that you're seeing that will be things that we should be maybe starting to think about now and might become commonplace in the next couple of years? Yeah, it's actually... The interesting thing somebody once said is that the future's already here. It's just very mm. widely distributed. I think it was William Gibson, actually, who said that. Well, that's a bit that's a bit highbrow for this. That might uh, be, but, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but he did. And actually, it's not that there's going to be a new technology that we're working on that's going to make the difference. It's actually looking at what have we got today and leveraging that for better outcomes. So I think it is security now and not thinking of it after the fact, but actually yeah. building it into the platforms, leveraging it. That There's other areas around about not just tracking security around about the perimeter, the end user and the storage layer, but actually looking at tracking what users are doing within your environment and being able to protect against that. So anomalous user, uh, you know, user anomaly detection and that type of capability. Uh, and then I think also it's really AI is going to be in every single environment. AI is already, you know, we're building it into our technologies to to assist people with what they do, but that's under the covers almost in terms of how it's used. But companies are now looking at generative AI. How do they build the data lakes? How do they think about expanding and having those data lakes across on-prem and cloud? How can they standardize data management, secure that data management? So these kind of challenges, a lot of things that customers are thinking about to, you know, today on the cusp of how do we build these environments? Because the capability to do all of those things we can offer today, but most customers are not at that advanced yeah. stage of thinking about how they need to use these technologies. So that's a lot of what we tend to Yeah, uh, and to I suppose it's like, it's like with a lot of these things, isn't it? It's about how you how this stuff becomes more commoditized so that people actually can use it day to day. Yeah. So, um, well, look, yeah. Grant, it's been great. We appreciate your time and, and, and thanks for joining us on this CTO Insight chat. Um, I, I, just before we wrap up, if people want to find out a little bit more about NetApp or maybe want to find out more about you and, and hunt you down somewhere, how can they go about doing that? <laughs> yeah, so I'm quite easy. I don't use Twitter as much nowadays <laughs> since, since they renamed the platform, uh, but certainly just search for Grant Cayley NetApp at LinkedIn and you'll find me quite quickly. And then, of course, NetApp ourselves, uh, just go to www.netapp.com and you'll be able to access everything from there uh, that I've talked about anyway today. 
Well, that's great, Grant. Really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. And to see you again soon. Thank you, Paul. Thank you.